Well, uh, good morning. If you could um, write one letter to your kids, what would you say? The, the letter is your life. It's really what it is. It's your life. Uh, and so what are you writing to your kids? It's kind of a kind of important thing there. And this is what Paul has done with Timothy. We started it last week uh, in 2 Timothy. This is actually his second letter to Timothy, and <clears throat> he's in prison in Rome. Just remind you of a few things. It's around 67 AD. Nero is the, the emperor in charge of the Roman Empire and almost losing his mind by his antics and things like that. He even, a year later, commits suicide. Uh, believers are staying clear of Paul because they're being persecuted and oppressed and killed and Paul's finding himself getting ready to face this Roman trial by himself. Uh, no one came to his side in his preliminary hearing and we read all this through his letters and that he's written to other people. But Luke has come to visit him and Luke is the one that's actually penning this letter. He's the writing this letter from Paul and Paul takes it at the end and signs it like he normally does. But he, he knows his time is near. He knows it's coming to the end. And so Paul's doing everything he can. If I can write one letter to my, my son. Timothy wasn't his son, but he might as well have been. He trained him and taught him how to do ministry and... Uh, it's nothing like what we do here nowadays. But he just needs to encourage Timothy to keep discipling. So we pick it up in chapter 2. He says, You, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If I look at that verse right there, everybody's going to immediately go to Jesus. Okay, I, I give you that. Jesus is always the answer. If we hang out with our high school students on Wednesday night and I ask them a question, they'll all typically say, Jesus, it's just the answer. But when I look at this now, I look and I see one word, and the word would be not grace. The word would be be. Just be. Like, quit trying. <laughs> He, he, he's placed a new heart in you. He's made you a new creation. Just be who you are. And what he's done is he's placed this, this strength inside of you, this grace inside of you, which is named Jesus. If you can figure that out, that this Savior, this Messiah, this unbelievable strength lives inside of you just as... Matt said, is taking up residence inside of your body. The strength that, we say that that word there is dunamis, which is where we get our word dynamite, but it means power. 
It means empowered. you're empowered with grace. <laughs> you're empowered with grace, not condemnation. And literally, to be strong, it, you have been enabled. Everybody says, oh, well, you are capable of doing funerals and weddings and get up there. No, you have been enabled. That's why Tim's doing his family's funeral. It's like, you're capable of doing this too because you have the same spirit in you that I have in me. We're empowered by Jesus. It's not our own strength. If it's based upon my own strength, we're in tr trouble. It's just this, content, this continuous active cooperation and dependence upon Jesus that matters. He says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You know, I am thankful to be gone occasionally from here. I try to like make sure I'm back every Sunday. I'll be gone in a couple weeks. Uh, but I'm thankful for the faithful men like Keith and Matt and Doug and Phil and Shannon who will get up here and Luke and Scott will get up here and teach and uh, so many others that get up here, Jess that gets up here and sings. They're capable of leading and teaching because they've been empowered by the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and the same spirit that lives in me. We had... Tuesday night, we had 16 people in my house wanting to learn how to study the Word of God even more than they are now through this Logos software. Like, they sit there and tried to figure this thing out, and it's because they want to know what the Word says. So when he says faithful men, men and women, he's not talking about being ordained. He's, he means faithful there's many in this room that I could just sit here and go around and who are leading and teaching and ministering. And it, we don't test modern teachers by popularity, although the world does, or their education or their skill. Uh, I'm not an eloquent speaker. I don't sit here and rehearse my script and everything else like that. It, it's just, Lord, use me. We're tested by the Word of God. Literally, if you want to go home and listen to this on YouTube and check it out with the Word of God and see if I'm wrong, call me. Talk to me. I, it happens all the time. People will challenge me and encourage me and correct me. You're, you're literally encouraged to do ministry here in this community. Do it. You're empowered. It doesn't take a yes from me or anything else. I'm I'm empowering you, but greater than that, Jesus has empowered you. Just handing this thing off. Figure this thing out. Just go. It's what Paul's doing with Timothy. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. He literally, he literally begins to take on like three illustrations to try to explain to Timothy the best that he can what he's trying to encourage him to do. He says, share in the suffering. I know that we're all in a battle. We are all in this earthly battle, but I believe it is totally a spiritual battle. I believe it's higher than this right here. It's greater than this right here. It's all around us. He says, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. 
he seeks to please the commanding officer. Like, there is an authority in your life. I pray that the number one authority in your life is Jesus. Amen. That's the number one authority. Then you all have bosses. You're, maybe you are the boss. But there is always an order to this. And he's literally saying, don't get distracted with all the small talk that's going on. Don't get distracted with the nonsense. Our time, literally, my time can be consumed with good things. I got, I got like three or four financial requests in a matter of 48 hours last week. And I'm like, Lord, I know all these are good, but I need you to show me the excellent. I need you to show me what's at the top. I need you to set the right priorities, not only for me, but for this ministry. He says in verse 5, also, if anyone competes as an athlete, moves from being a soldier to an athlete, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Romans were very enthusiastic about their sports, so now he's trying to relate what's going on here last night. And here in our city, we had uh, champions crowned last, last night. Is there a picture there? Look at that. Rob Bell. Where are you? Oh, there you are. Nice job. Fisher's basketball won sectionals, beat Noblesville by two points last night. I heard it was an amazing game. Congratulations. Rob helps coach the team, sports psychologist, and uh, been watching them as they travel through. So uh, they understand. They understand athleticism. You know, and an, an Olympic athlete, they had to, like, swear an oath to Zeus back in the Greek competition, that they had physically trained for at least 10 months prior. And then they swore this oath to Zeus. So he, he literally is explaining, as an athlete, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And then he changes illustrations again. He goes, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Obviously, planting and nurturing leads to a harvest. But all three of these illustrations right here, when he's talking about the soldier and the athlete and the farmer, they teach us that faithfulness is a huge portion of the formula that leads to reward. Not that I'm doing anything for reward, but just being faithful receives the reward. Huh. And then verse 7, he says this, uh, Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. We, uh, we have this conversation, Keith and I, years ago, had this conversation, is it caught or is it taught? Uh, and you basically have to say, well, I think the Holy Spirit causes you to catch it, to understand it, but it also has to be taught. Because I, I, I went for years without it being taught to me. I mean, I was taught the Bible, but I was also taught religion. 
I wasn't taught freedom. I wasn't taught identity. I wasn't taught grace. I was just taught stories as interpreted by faithful men who had never heard it before. And then I began to see it from a different perspective. Is that clip ready? It, 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 this old movie, which is one of my favorites, is uh, Avatar. No fear. But stupid. Ignorant like a child. Well, if I'm like a child, then, uh, look, maybe you should teach me. Sky people cannot learn you do not see. Then <laughs> teach me how to see. No one can teach you to see. Whoa. But come on, can't we talk? <laughs> then teach me how to see. Oh, I wish I could teach you how to see. No one can teach you how to see. Considering what I say, the Lord will give you understanding and everything. If you want to see, you've got to become dependent upon him. The Holy Spirit inside of you, he will cause you to see. I can get up here and teach and teach for years and years about identity and about grace, and you can never see it. It's not my problem. It's his problem. He's the one that's got to show it to you. It's him that is responsible for revealing truth to you. It's him. So I'm going to trust him with you. I'm going to trust Jesus in you. I just said, like, what about the songs? I'm like, Jess, I trust Jesus in Jess. He says in verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David according to my gospel. The, the mention that Christ descended from David shows that Christ has this messianic qualifications. Well, what do you mean he has messianic qualifications? It's prophecy. If you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 11, it says this. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. This is to David. When your time comes and you rest with your ancestors after you've died, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. So literally, there's prophecy to say that the Messiah, the king, will come through the lineage of David. And right now, Paul's, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David. He is the one because he is fulfilled prophecy. And then he says, according to my gospel, well, my gospel is the message that has been entrusted to Paul. I pray that the same message is the one that has been entrusted to me and been entrusted to you, that Jesus is the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that matters. And yet, that truth is being distorted among the church, among, you know, <laughs> the, the fact that people get together and want to talk about Jesus on TV and the Christians condemn it just blows me away. Just blows me away. That whole he gets us thing, I, I, I don't care who's paying for it. I don't, it's like, it's putting Jesus in front of the world. 
And if you want to like dig into it and get into the weeds of that and have discussions about it and arguments about it, you go right ahead and enjoy life. But I'm going to tell you about a Savior that does get us because He came here on earth and He suffered just like you and I did, even greater. He gets us. <laughs> he says, verse 9, For which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Paul had been the chief oppressor and suppressor of Christians, and now all of a sudden he's suffered the most due to him teaching the gospel. What he was like doing to others now is being done to him. So he understands suffering to the point of being put in prison in Rome and knows that he's getting ready to die. He's put his life on the line. He says, this is why I endure all things for the elect. The elect being the chosen, the elect being those that are predestined, and I believe that that is all based upon God's foreknowledge, that God knew who was going to choose him, and those are the elect so that they may also obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy, for if we died with him, this is a positive statement, for if we died with him, which is Galatians 2.20, we will also live with him, another positive statement. If we endure, we will also reign with him, another positive statement. And then all of a sudden he goes into the negative and he says, if we deny him, he will also deny us. You get so caught up in the judgments. What's the judgments to come? I believe there's two judgments. There's a great white throne judgment. You as believers are not going to have to face the great white throne judgment. But there is the judgment seat of Christ. And the judgment seat of Christ is basically you're judged for the things that you do here on earth through the Spirit and not your flesh. The things that you do in the flesh will all be burned up. The things that you do in the spirit will be rewarded. It's going to be a beautiful judgment. No fear for you. He says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. There's another negative phrase there. If we are faithless, Jesus will fulfill his word either way, whether you're faithful or you're not faithful. No matter what your choice will be, Jesus is going to come through. He says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to fight about words. <laughs> Hello? We've been given this as a gift. And we can study it. Oh, we studied it Tuesday night at the house. We trying to figure out the Greek form, the Hebrew form, and we get into the words. He says, and charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. <laughs> I mean, what are the subjects that are causing Christians to split, split hairs? I mean, you've got the whole... Reform theology, you've got evolutionism, you've got end times, you've got law and grace, law and grace. He says, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. I, you know, I, I believe like uh, Big John's a construction guy and he can point, point out like bad construction. 
and he will. Trust me, I've been with him long enough, and any time that I do something bad, I gets pointed out. And you can do the same thing with a teacher. You can, if it's bad, if it's bad teaching, point it out. It's okay. He says, avoid irreverent and empty speech, since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness. <laughs> And their teaching will sped, spread like gangrene. Hymenaeus and Philetus are among them. So Paul had already turned Hymenaeus over to Satan. If you go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, he, he, he's already mentioned him in the first letter to Timothy. Like, the dude's messed up. Get to the point where you can distinguish between religious talk and truth. Like, it's hard to listen to Christian radio. <laughs> I say that with my friends uh, who are in Christian radio. Uh, but it's hard to listen because there's so much religious talk. And to be able to decipher what is truth out of what they're saying versus what is religion... It can, it can be hard. It can be hard. It's like, he's used the word gangrene. It's just, it's, that's like described as a sore that eats at the flesh. That's, that's what religion does. You realize that that's all Jesus detested in the Gospels was religion. He hung out with the prostitutes, the tax collectors, everybody else, but the religious people... He busted their chops. And there, there's really a difference here between getting into the weeds of the Word and the Word actually nourishing others. What, what are we doing here? Are we trying to like figure the exact Word, the meaning, the interpretation out? How's that going to help us help these people? How are we, how are we helping each other? If we just sit here on Sunday morning and study the Word, what, what good does that do if it doesn't change the way we behave? And I'm not here to change your behavior. I'm here basically to tell you who you are in Christ. He's the one that's going to change your behavior. It's like we can come here and do this thing every Sunday, but if you're not out there... Being in the world and loving people, that's just like spiritual constipation, man. You gotta you, you gotta you gotta get up. It says they have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and are ruining the faith of some. So some certain carryovers of their pagan religions. They started teaching this spiritual resurrection that has occurred, and obviously that means that led them into teaching a sinless perfection, that they were without sin. And he's like saying, you, you, you just need to like stay away from those guys because they're not teaching the truth. He says, nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm bearing this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. That's like in Old Testament numbers 
16.5 that he's quoting there. And literally he's like saying he knows, like, I, I'm assuming that someday I'm going to have grandkids and God already knows if they're his or not, if they're going to choose them. He knows. He already knows. And let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. He's saying right here, we still have to make choices. We still have to make choices. We still have to come to repentance. Repentance just means to change your mind about something. That's what that means. And here's the beautiful thing about it is, I can't cause you to change your mind about something. It's him that's going to cause you to change your mind about something. It's him who leads us to repentance. I go to Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It says, Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Not me sitting up here telling you what you should do and what you shouldn't do. It's the Lord just being kind and saying, Hey, you're holy, you're righteous, you're redeemed, you're forgiven. You're a child of God. And he's constantly telling me that. And it causes me to change my mind. And I make that choice. Verse 20 says, Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. I'm assuming that the dishonorable would be the the wood and clay, and the honor will be the gold and silver. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Like, to be set apart, there's this separation, and it's not a separation that happens when we die and go to heaven. It's literally a separation here on earth. Like, you will be set apart. If you begin to talk about Jesus, if you begin to proclaim about Jesus, if you begin to talk about the goodness of Jesus, if you do all these things, I promise you, you will be set apart from the rest of the world. It's, it's the focus. It's the fo- what are we focusing on? We can... There's, there's plenty of things in this world to focus on, but he's literally saying, stay faithful to the truth, stay faithful to the word, stay faithful to Jesus. And then in verse 22, he says, flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord for a pure heart. You know, uh, doing youth ministry for so long and hanging out with teenagers, and you guys can see this too, um, they're the ones that uh, have the youth movements. They are the ones that are agenda-driven. They are the ones that will uh, be vegans and uh, let's have peace. Uh, they go to passion conferences. They go to uh, all that. They listen to the Reformed theology. And typically, uh, you can say this, because history has shown it, and really there weren't teenagers until around the 50s. Did you know that? Teenagers didn't exist until like 1950s. And that's when youth ministry was born. It was all of a sudden, because when, before that, when you tell, tell, turn, 
turned 12 or 13, you became an adult. You took on adult responsibilities. And so now we have these teenagers and uh, I would put this in a range of from anywhere from 18 years old to 34 years old where they become agenda-driven. And typically that's, that's played out through our media and our social networks. And they're the ones that determine what is cool. They're the ones that determine what is right and wrong and determine what we tend to focus on in the world. You get my age, you're like, because <laughs> I was there, I've done it, I've been there, I've had my agendas, I've done my thing, and I, I honestly believe you get to a point in your life where you go, okay, that's the world, and the most important thing, one, is Jesus, and number two is my family. Jesus is number one, and my family's number two. And the things of this world, I get it. It's going to keep on doing what it does. And, you know, I get to vote in November, my one vote. Uh, and you go, what impact is that? I get it. I get it. Most important thing to me is Jesus and my family. It says verse 23, but reject foolish and ignorant disputes because you know that they breed quarrels. These uh, those questions have been brought to you before. You, we get in here in the church and we talk about Calvinism and Arminianism and predestination and free will and preterist and futurist and law and grace. We get it. Do we, do we have to decipher it all? Do we have to know it all? It says, The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone. <laughs> Let me repeat that. But must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness, He used gentleness twice there. Timothy, be gentle. You don't have to be a know-it-all. You don't have to prove yourself every time. Just be gentle. Perhaps God will grant them repentance. Oh, wait, where does repentance come from? <laughs> Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Maybe God will change their mind. Maybe God will cause them to see it. Maybe God will cause them to figure it out. Not this platform. still has to be taught. But it's going to be God who does it. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. God grants his repentance through his kindness. So, uh, based upon that, should I defriend blatant sinners on Facebook? No, I'm 
probably going to hang out with them. Yeah, I I know what it looks like. I know what it looks like on to the world, but doesn't matter. There there's a difference between acceptance and teaching with gentleness. There's a difference. How how will those who have a sinful nature or maybe they're going through a season of walking through their flesh come to know how much Jesus loves them if I walk away from them? How will the addicted ever know how much Jesus loves them? How will the left-wing, liberal, tree-hugging hippie ever come to know how much Jesus loves them? And on the other side, how will the staunch, right-wing, good-doing, Ten Commandment card carrier ever come to know how much Jesus loves them? If I walk away from them. It's certainly not going to be because of some Baptist church in Kansas City, that's for sure. Why would the younger generation want to have anything to do with that religious condemnation? If I can write my son, my daughter a letter... I'm writing it right now. How how do I engage them enough to have conversation with them in the midst of their bad choices and moral just... I hope you're getting this. This is all Paul's saying to Timothy. The focus, the focus has to remain on Jesus. Don't worry about the outcome. If you stay focused on Jesus and you hang out with all these people, that's his problem. He, he's the one that's going to minister to them. And Paul's just saying, you can be in the world, just don't be of the world. Just be of Jesus. Just hang out with them. Have conversations with them. I had, a, I had a test last week, uh, an actual literal test, first test I've taken in like 35 years. Uh, and it had three essay questions on it. And Wednesday night, I took it Tuesday, and then Wednesday night I brought the essay questions to my high school students. And they crushed it. They didn't really know what they were saying. They didn't use... Uh, terms like cosmological argument or teleological argument or moral argument, which I used in my essay, but they knew exactly that God was the cause of things, that there has to be a great designer. I mean, there has to be a great designer. And there's, there's a difference between right and wrong in this world and how in the world, where did that come from? But to have that conversation with these high school kids and them to understand it, mm. yeah. 
And that's all I want to do is I want to talk about Jesus. Yeah, I'll talk about baseball. I'll talk about other things. But I encourage you to talk about Jesus. It's all that matters. Father, I I am not in charge of your people. (laughs) And I trust that you are and that you continue to uh, grow us, that you continue to raise us up in the knowledge and the wisdom of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit that resides in each of us. And so I'm going to trust you right now. I'm going to trust you right now with uh, each in this room and each that are listening, that you would just give them encouragement today. May you love them today. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.